Hello and welcome back to Lab Talks, the non-fungible podcast. Today is a little different as you've probably gathered. Um, so hello everyone, my name's Millie. I head up the marketing at Alchemy and importantly I'm usually comfortably placed behind the mic recording and not in front of it. So <laughs> this is my, I think, second time on. But yeah, I'm super excited today to be hosting Lab Talks as we have two very special guests that are absolute legends in the ad tech space. So I'm proud to introduce Claire and Emily. So I will shut up now and let them introduce themselves. So Emily, you want to kick off? Hello. Well, first of all, thank you so much for having me. Um, My name is Emily Roberts and I'm a senior associate in the marketing and media assurance team at PwC. So you probably never expected to have PwC on this podcast. (laughs) Um, And I'm also the co-founder of the Women in Programmatic Network, which is one of the biggest uh, female networks now in the world for the advertising industry which is slightly daunting to say that it's <laughs> incredibly impressive um, uh, no hello uh my name is claire uh gleason landry uh i'm head of investment and sustainable media at Goodloop. um good loops a startup in the ad tech space and we basically make it easy for brands to do good at scale Um, And so everything that we do is designed with um, consumers um, and their engagement with advertising and giving them a reason to engage with advertising again. I have never founded uh, a network of any description (laughs) outside of my day job. Um, Emily's extracurricular activities are incredibly (laughs) impressive. So I suppose for me, I've only been in ad tech for a year, but I know after meeting a few of people, they've they've been in, in the game for a while, different companies. So... Um, do you, you guys want to talk a bit about like what you did before the current companies you're at and like what you've been up to and sure um so I'm a bit of a, a, a stalwart in the industry I've been in media for 20 years um, <laughs> and you're only 21 I know, right? <laughs> so strange um so um I originally started out in publishing I worked literally as a classified sales exec uh, in the heady days of the early 2000s um, where I literally had to share a computer with a colleague and uh, I had a Rolodex with all my contacts in there and I had to do all my bookings in a leather bound ledger. Yes, Amazing. it was like 1941. <laughs> um, but uh, I stayed in publishing for 18 years. And in fact, working at Goodloop is the first role I've had in ad tech. Um, prior to Goodloop, I was at The Guardian for eight years and I was a digital director there. And that's where Emily and I worked together. Yes, um, indeed. Um, so mine's a bit of a weird one. Um, I've had a very, very strange career so far. So I've been in uh, media eight years. Um, and so the first company I ever worked for um, was part of an apprenticeship um, and essentially probably about a month in the uh, founder of the company said that he wasn't going to pay us um, and I ended up taking them to court at, <laughs> at about 19 <laughs> which is pretty insane um, and then I ended up working for a friend that I'd met um, while I moved to London which is now one of the biggest Amazon advertising agencies in the industry, which is insane. Um, yeah, he's done amazingly well. And then um, got uh, poached by Google for a year to do the apprenticeship there, which was amazingly experienced. Then worked with Claire and um, skip a few jobs. I'm now at PwC. So we are essentially quite a new team. We've been um, in the advertising kind of game for about four years now. 
Um, and essentially, we combine auditing with the murky world of programmatic and digital, um, which I find fascinating and uh, hopefully we'll speak about a bit more as the podcast goes on. It is a bit mental, actually, because I think when I think about PwC, I'm like consulting programmatic consulting how does that <laughs> I know I feel like when I move from my previous role to here most people are like are you becoming an accountant I was like you don't know me do you <laughs> I would never become an accountant <laughs> so yeah no it's interesting and Claire also just to talk a bit more about Good Loop because I know Alchemy and Good Loop have had a couple of conversations obviously but um it would be great for to just explain to the listeners a bit more about what Good Loop do in terms of like being the eco-friendly face of mm. programmatic advertising. Well, one of the eco-friendly, but also just uh, more at large purpose-led. Um, so we're a purpose-led advertising platform um, and we partner brands with charities and we leverage advertising spend um, into donations, basically. So we have a couple of products. One is a video um, solution, which basically, if you don't hit the skip button, which everyone does, let's face it, um, mm. if you don't hit skip... Uh, will reward you with a micro donation that's paid to a charity on your behalf. And so it's a really easy way for brands to leverage all their CSR stuff that kind of gets lost on their websites and Mm -hmm. they don't always reference it and they don't make a big deal out of it because they probably don't want to get accused of any kind of reputation laundering. But a lot of brands are really amazing in this space and certainly in the past couple of years, Brands have probably stepped in where governments have failed. So we saw a lot of this during the pandemic. Um, The brands that pivoted to have a really, really direct message with consumers, basically saying, look, I know we know it's really tough. And we've all seen all the black and white videos and adverts at the time with somber piano music playing over them about unprecedented times. Mm -hmm. But those brands that pivoted and really um, lent into that narrative really built a lot of equity during that time. So you had brands like Deliveroo who pivoted straight away to contactless delivery and they really help to build trust with consumers. And so that's what Good Loop does. We we facilitate building that trust, but with ease. Um, and also we very much feel that if you're going to invest in a, a lovely strategy as a company around sustainability or um, body image and supporting young women or anything to do with mental health or anything like that, what you can't be doing is investing in bad media. So you can't be running an anti-bullying campaign and then run it on the mail online, for example. <laughs> so um, what we do is essentially we manage those campaigns for them to make sure that those uh, ad campaigns show up in values-aligned publishers. We also make sure that we're paying publishers a really fair price for their inventory, which all too often, let's face it, becomes available on the open marketplace and it's just a race to the bottom. Mm-hmm. So, um, and by doing that, what by you know, splitting the advertising budget so that 50% goes to charity, which is really, we're really proud of that. And it was probably quite bold to do that at the beginning of the company. They're like, oh my God, we've got to make 100% more revenue than we would do normally because we're giving 50% away. <laughs> Jesus, whose idea was this? Um, but because we do that, uh, we essentially deliver more meaningful reach to advertisers because we're only charging them when someone actually watches the video and doesn't click skip um but also we help to lev- uh, shift brand perceptions and increase trust and purchase to intent uh, you know intent to purchase not purchase to intent jesus um so all of those metrics that a marketing campaign would typically typically be measured by rather than sort of post-click attribution or click-through rates or you know behaviors that none of us do um 
what we tend we measure campaigns by the success of you know their marketing KPIs being shifted, and then another product that we've done just because um, we're a B corporation and all of our um, campaigns have always been carbon neutral is we've spun that technology out into a turnkey solution. Um, we basically have built a green ad tag, um, and this uh, this can be appended onto any. Um, ad tag it's a little tiny pixel tiny piece of javascript and what that does is measure the data transmission of a of an ad campaign which it, which tells us how much carbon effectively is being generated by just one campaign being live mm-hmm. so that's the area that i head up um so it's I, i'm not a climate scientist so it's quite a it's quite a shift uh, my double b in gcse science uh, <laughs> is probably insufficient but it's a really interesting <laughs> space and um Lots of people are really engaging with it. So that's amazing. It must be super rewarding, right? Yeah. I mean, we've literally, oh God, we've made seven million pounds for charity mm-hmm. since our inception, which is incredible. So wow. advertising revenue that would normally just be sloshing around the ecosystem and going to Google mm-hmm. and Meta. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, we've planted like 2.6 million trees in the past couple of months. Like, yeah. just, it's just awesome. And, and tree planting isn't the only solution but it's mm-hmm. one of them yeah. it's really easy to scale mm-hmm. it's pretty cheap um um and it's a positive investment in the future yeah for sure and actually i think that segues quite nicely on what you said emily in terms of the topics topic we wanted to cover today which was to do with uh, trust and transparency and what that really means in advertising and i know you probably see on a lot of uh, linkedin or even we harp on about it quite a lot about being more transparent and being more trustworthy and kind of I think a good way to start would be like outlining why there are issues and why there is a lack of transparency and a lack of trust in the current ecosystem um and I had a great conversation with our CTO Chandri today which everyone who everyone knows really well and he has a a very uh, beautiful perspective on how things can shift it's not about pointing fingers necessarily or like anyone saying well you're doing it wrong why like you should do it wrong I think it's basically being like well we're all not doing the right thing here something's gone wrong and we need to make a change and do something better and an initial perspective that he discussed was about how we view the user as a user rather than a person and even I think a lot of people do forget when you work in ad tech and you're a, a big advertiser or publisher when you're at work it's like oh we need to deliver this to the user when realistically you probably are the user as a person, even if you work in the industry, you are the user. And how do you feel if you were at work bending potential GDPR like regulations to make it work and make it fit with what you need to do to get paid to do your job compared to how would you feel as a user with those GDPR things being broken? Or another example he discussed was how a lot of sites make it really difficult for you to reject cookies. Mm. It's basic, like, I know it's, they are, it's legal. They're saying, accept our cookies. These are what your cookies do, but make it incredibly challenging for people to reject cookies. And I think that's a lot on trust, basically. Mm. But yeah. Sometimes all you want is the chocolate cake recipe. You don't want to have to faff around with all your selections. Yeah, it's (laughs) insane. And that, I think, is one of the reasons, if not the main reason, why our team has done so well like we've grown I like so much in the last four years because there was no one essentially regulating the industry mm-hmm. um and to have like our team do a whole combination of different things from helping mergers and acquisitions but one of the other things that we do that's growing like mad is essentially giving uh, that assurance to brands 
that their campaigns actually ran in the right place. Yeah. So like we'll do these reports and we'll find oh yeah, that campaign that that massive supermarket ran that was meant to run in the UK for that special offer. Yeah, that ran in Gibraltar. <laughs> and it's like these are basic things that the industry is still getting totally wrong. Mm-hmm. And that the brand has no idea about because essentially it's not the same as print, right? Like mm. back in the day and still to this day, print, you buy a paper, you can see the ad in the paper or with digital, uh, without of home, not digital out of home. Well, yeah, I guess so. <laughs> but um, you see the ad, right? And with digital, essentially, there is so much complexity to do with digital that I think sometimes brands just want to, they just want to see their ad. And I think that's why things like programmatic guaranteed or like homepage takeovers have done so well because then people can see the ad. But like, that's definitely the reason that our team's growing like crazy because we essentially can go in and go, okay, let's confirm this. Like let's review GDPR and then review your, how you're doing it and go, oh, I don't think you're very compliant at the moment. This is what you need to do. And actually having those advisors in the industry, I think has been desperately needed for such a long time. Mm. Um, A study came out a couple of years ago that ranked people who worked in the advertising industry as less trustworthy than estate agents and politicians. Um, I think things have probably changed over the past year. (laughs) Let's Um, hope. Let's (laughs) hope, (laughs) uh, given given the state of politics at the moment. But... um, yeah, the industry has, whether it's whether you work on the creative side um, or you work in the executional side um, and activation side, it's it's a murky world. Programmatic is kind of opaque by design. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are a lot of players who are really trying to clean that up. Um, and and it's a, it has to take collective effort. Um, um, but some people are too keen on the cash well do you know it's lack of accountability well yeah that's so true because and i it's almost like you feel really bad because you're witnessing on two sides publishers making all this almost like trustful into the hands of uh the middleware like being like yeah you're going to do what you say you do we trust you and doing a free fall and then you have the advertisers doing the same thing because ultimately publishers will trust the supply chain they'll trust that the valid ads are being shown there's no fraud on the demand side and the creatives that are being shown as you said are relative to the content on the site um and then on the same side like you said with advertisers where they're trusting that the campaign that they want to be served over a a certain period of time is being served and ultimately that's not that doesn't seem to be happening in a lot of places yeah so we did we did a study um a couple of years ago which has now won 16 awards in the industry and continues to win awards um but it was essentially where we spoke to advertisers we spoke to kind of the intermediaries and we spoke to publishers and said well if this much is being spent for our advertisers how much is, is essentially ending up at publishers and essentially understood where the the revenue was ending up and it took us so long like it was meant to take I think six months it took like a year everything overran because there weren't people being transparent in the industry like to get hold of the data from everyone to go okay well this impression ended up on through this platform to end up on this publisher was like pretty challenging Mm -hmm. which is insane to say but um essentially one of the big factors that came out of the study uh was that 15 percent of revenue is just 
unaccounted for yeah so like as you as an advertiser you put a hundred quid in 15 pounds of that no idea where mm-hmm, it goes mm-hmm. and we're actually doing the survey again now as we speak um we're not going to publish it and it's for advertisers to kind of build that confidence to say like the industry is becoming more transparent mm-hmm. and for publishers but i mean name another industry where you just lose your money once you start spending it like it's insane well it's almost like i know and a lot of our listeners will have heard the boys talk about what alchemy does on a regular basis but that's sort of why they harp on about it so much because they're like when they have conversations with um publishers and brands and they're saying like we can actually show you where the money's being spent and the money won't just be lost in the midst of google and like all of that kind of space and people are like oh right um well yeah yeah, that would be really great and it's like how can you not (laughs) you don't know that that's lost in the first place or you're aware of it and it doesn't matter that much because you know your numbers are your numbers and you're not going to get sacked for continuing to do the same thing you're doing but taking on a new strategy well it's like you might get sacked for taking on a new software that you know can you imagine if you bought something online and you, you essentially went to, I don't know, like a fashion brand and you were like, I've just bought this dress. And they were like, oh yeah, 15 pounds of that just disappeared. Or just like 15% quid. of the dress, dress is not there. Yeah, <laughs> just disappeared. Where, where's it gone? Oh yeah, we're not sure. Yeah, Sorry. not sure. Yeah. When Emily and I were both working at The Guardian, um, The Guardian sued an ad exchange mm-hmm. because... Um, so much revenue was just disappearing okay um and it was very tense for a few months um uh, but also contributed to winning a huge amount of awards because we had to be really really brave um and yeah it we probably made quite a few enemies at the time and gladly i don't work there anymore so i don't have to deal with that but um (laughs) not gladly i don't work there anymore but i'm glad (laughs) i don't have to deal with that kind of stuff anymore um but yeah transparency is completely as I said, there's a sort of opacity by design and that was always something that's, you know, that's an expression that's used quite a lot within um, the programmatic industry. I think it's used too much. I think, like, people use it to almost... Excuse. Yeah, exactly. And it's like, the number one word in programmatic is probably transparency, which is incredibly ironic, right? Because Mm. actually, I think a lot of the time there is still a lot of murkiness in programmatic and it's because it's benefited people for so long right Mm -hmm. like if it was if it was all clear and and transparent then people wouldn't potentially make as much money as they are in the industry and of course everyone's willing to help but then when you come to kind of a survey like we did and it becomes slightly challenging yeah there's not been any incentive to change the status quo I feel like naturally I I think as people are becoming like awake to the fact that things need to change like we have all the things going on with cookies and everyone's panicking like I know you guys as well have probably been to the conferences where people talk about cookies and they're just like yeah so instead of cookies we'll just do cookies until there's no cookies and I'm like that doesn't seem like the best solution (laughs) until the the cookie you go back to how uh, I activated digital campaigns 10 years ago which was uh you want a million impressions within the travel section great i'll book those for you Mm -hmm. and you don't 
you just sent you don't need to use any mm-hmm. just do contextual targeting you don't need to be creepy and follow people around the internet because yeah. that's yeah. And that's one of the reasons why good loop was founded because people were download downloading ad blockers mm-hmm. at a huge rate mm-hmm. like 40 percent of internet users we have some kind of ad blocker that yeah. hasn't waned mm-hmm. um and it increases in different countries so countries like germany they are way more likely to use ad blockers because mm-hmm. there's a sensitivity around personal data mm-hmm. um and that's because of historic reasons in the uk i think we're a bit more sort of loosey-goosey yeah um possibly because you know we're a nation of online shoppers we we're, lead the way we're immune the, <laughs> we just don't care yeah we're like, all right, God. Yeah, yeah and you know and, and that's why good loop was founded there was no reason to engage with advertising 40 percent of users were blocking adverts mm-hmm. um and advertising was following you around the internet. Yeah. It was loud. It was obnoxious. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's why we wanted to create better ad experiences. I read this really interesting article because I know you say about like this sort of creepiness of uh, ads following you around. And for me, the ones where they show me trainers that I've maybe looked at, I'm like, okay, I can tolerate you. But I read this article about one where um, if you have, like, say, for example, you'd gone on Amazon and you'd Google like wedding invitations or like wedding confetti and you did that or you did something related to a wedding right and then nine months later you would be getting an ad for nappies yeah and those are the ones that because that you're you're put on a consumer product life cycle yeah. so it's like if you're getting married you will have babies and then you'll probably you would have bought a house and you want to buy a sofa for the house and that is terrifying and you can see why consumers have been like whoa 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 <laughs> this is getting a bit weird now i met a tech company that um uses uh, satellite imagery um to detect whether um uh extensions are being built built in areas and no they can way. also analyze planning applications oh my god terrifying yeah that is mental you can just target them with like bags of cement advertising or something oh my god it's like tiles oh my god yeah that, that kind of stuff it just freaks you out <laughs> a bit <laughs> i was like i don't see how we can work with you on this this is odd and very niche yeah um but yeah, people don't like it, and rightly so, because it's really annoying, because there's nothing worse than being targeted by a product that you've already concluded isn't right for your needs, mm-hmm. so don't pester me. It's a yeah. bit like having you know, a creepy guy just constantly turning up mm-hmm. when you broke up with them. Well, I, yeah, and <laughs> definitely, and I think, I'm not saying I'm a, a Daily Mail reader before anyone comes for me about that, but they're one of the sites that I think you kind of mentally blacklist, because you go on there and you're like, Jesus Christ, like... This is excessive. There's more ads than I've ever needed to see in my whole life on this one page because that's, and unfortunately, that's because that's how they're paying for the service they're offering. Absolutely. So they're not the criminals in that. It's just like that's how they can afford to pay for the service they're offering. Yeah, they've had to compromise user experience in order to hit targets Mm -hmm. um, and make money. And unfortunately, what results there is poorer performing advertising for all the advertisers that Mm -hmm. are having to share that space. Mm -hmm. (coughs) And I think actually, um, well, again, this sort of leads on nicely, and we we spoke a bit briefly before we started filming that we um, there was an article that was published yesterday about Google having to pay over um, three hundred ninety million US dollars over tracking. Um, so this was to do with like smartwatches and stuff like that. And the the key thing on this is like you know we were saying that people are given the option to turn tracking off or they're told that they can turn it off and not be tracked. But this whole thing was that they had misled users into thinking they had switched off location tracking whilst continuing to collect geographical Mm. information without consent. Um, And I just think, again, this is another example, swinging it back to trust. But it's just like, how can consumers, users, people 
continue to trust the infrastructure when things like this are happening. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that, so Apple made an update, uh, I think about 12 months ago now, where they essentially decided to give the user a choice whether their data was being collected on apps, so if you had an iPhone. And um, Facebook have said in their investor calls literally every quarter since that Apple's update has completely screwed them over and this is why they're in the massive issue which they are with job cuts and really low revenue now. But it begs the question, as we were going back to, of why do you need so much personal data? Mm -hmm. Like contextual data I actually think is incredibly underrated yeah and actually when you're in the mindset of well I'm looking on the travel website and you're being served travel ads that's far more relevant than kind of oh these are the trainers that I brought three weeks ago here they are again still following me around (laughs) I've got them I'm wearing them them. yeah (laughs) (laughs) no it's so true Yeah. yeah and I mean it's it begs the question. I don't I don't know if that's the only reason why Meta are really struggling and having to fire eleven thousand people in one day. It's probably because they bet the house on the metaverse, yeah. um, which is a whole other area <coughs> when it comes to trust and transparency as well, because mm-hmm. it's still such a burgeoning area of technology and it's still dominated by sort of niche and fringe people mm-hmm. um it's it's probably going to take a while for i'm in a really funny whatsapp group with people from our tech and they refer to the general public as debbie and dave and <laughs> will debbie and dave be using the new 1500 oculus yeah head uh, headpiece yeah, yeah. That, those sort of headsets yeah. yeah headset that's it not a headpiece um god you can tell i'm almost a boomer <laughs> <Christ>. <laughs> it's these glasses that are computers yeah the the technology there is still really cost prohibitive but also it's still a bit weird it feels a little bit like areas that, like everyone's like well, you can go and talk to people that you don't know and it's like yeah like a is that like a chat room? Like <laughs> what we had when I was in secondary or like, school? Or like a pub, you know? Yeah. Like you can all, you know? Yeah, or like, you know, drinks brands launching in the metaverse. And I'm like, but how do you taste the drink? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And do you know what the really mental thing that I saw as well is that the um, the headset that they've just sort of like, excuse the saying, blown their load on, is um, it's only, it can only last for two hours before you had to charge it again. Which I know doesn't seem like mm. massive, but if you think about gamers that will sit yeah. and like game hard, or if you're entering a world which is essentially sort of some kind of you know the film Ready Player One. Have you seen that? I haven't yeah. seen it, but have you seen Don't Worry, Darling? Y- yeah, no, actually, I haven't seen that film. <laughs> but um, basically, you knew what it was about? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Well, no, exactly. It's that kind of alert. it's kind of like major escapism that we've sort of talked about in dystopian worlds, and then all of a sudden you're seeing these headset headsets spring up, and you're like, is that going to work? Are people going to adopt yeah. it? And well, yeah, and we and do you know what we sit here and we say no, and maybe you know we might have a conversation in five years' time where we're all in a wearing headset yeah yeah exactly (laughs) but that that's why investors so we do um the we help the ib with their ad spend study so working at how much revenue um is made in the uk from advertising and so we get to look at all the kind of investor reports and so when facebook's investor report came out um last week they essentially said like investors are just pulling out because there's nothing all they're focusing on at the moment 
is this metaverse Mm -hmm. there's no money being made at the moment Mm -hmm. and yet the product launches that facebook are doing for advertising are nil and investors are like well we can't we can't keep giving you money Mm -hmm. to like for 10 years time and that's essentially why they're like being screwed that Mm -hmm. and like the other one was tiktok which i think all the big companies are now feeling the threat of and the wrath of TikTok, which... Um, the juggernaut. Yes, is another fascinating one. It's a, I mean, as someone that uses TikTok, uh, it's in a whole different ballgame in terms of, like, the shift of um, consumer behaviour in terms of, for the younger generation. Like, you don't even realise... I know there's a lot of stuff, like, I remember back, like, when I was, like, 13, 14, it was, like, the YouTube boom when you had the, like, bloggers and they were selling you stuff and or, like, they were recommending products, but TikTok is a whole different gravy. Like, I'm buying stuff and then I'm, like, why on earth it gets delivered? I'm, like, oh, why have earth? I bought that cat suit? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> I'm never going to wear it. Yeah, it's, like, makeup and I'm, like, I don't really wear makeup. Why have I bought this? But I just saw someone do it and I was, like, why? I'll get it. And it's, like, a whole different ball game. so I can see how brands are probably thinking, like... But the issue of that, then, is the fact that now Google has made its own version youtube shorts um facebook's made a version instagram reels and again people are like this is literally tiktok yeah, sure it's not it'll come it. out yeah there'll be study yeah to say how addictive it oh, is and it's detrimental already, yeah. on people's mental health mm-hmm. You've also and got that comes back to the transparency piece right of like trust and transparency mm-hmm. these companies are just trying to make as much money as possible yeah, yeah, yeah. they're trying to keep people addicted to the platforms and actually, that is why I think things like Be Real have done so well, mm-hmm. because they've gone, actually, let's take this back. Let's not try and get addic- people addicted to the platform. And let's just show people like how real life works. And I did read this thing about um, TikTok, about how it takes you through kind of, um, so you, it's a sort of like, you know, a doom scroll where it will never end. And as you go through, you, c- you can experience like so many super intense emotions as someone who also is like, you know, feels intensely like you can see like a dog dying and then you see like a makeup <laughs> video and it's it's a algorithm no but it's a, yeah i know I'm, I'm revealing a lot about myself here. but you know it just takes you through this emotional roller coaster that they were like it's not human to experience all of those things in a, in like a an hour's worth of scrolling you can be taken through ups and downs and all these like people are like, oh it is positive fine i think i'm the wrong age I'm just because I'm 40 this weekend so okay. I feel like I've never I've never been part of a generation that sort of broadcast myself I went to secondary school at a time where no one was record I didn't mm. have Facebook mm-hmm. like the memories of my friend getting stuck between a tree and a water bath <laughs> drunk at a party and her trousers falling down <laughs> just it's remains in, in your mind <laughs> indelibly you know um sort of you know totally burnt into my memory but um so I've never been and I never used MSN Mm -hmm. or anything like that I was just the wrong age so I've missed quite a lot I wasn't a teenager that had to Mm -hmm. to do this and you know my first experience of like a chat room was when I was 14 down in Brighton with some friends and we went into an internet cafe yeah and then we sort of went into a chat room and then we were like what is that that it yeah and well because it's interesting you say that because I feel like I was in a generation of like I remember having my like Motorola flip phone Mm -hmm. when I was in secondary school and then it kind of like moved on to Blackberries and they were super cool and it was like corporate yeah it's like all of us like sending an email (laughs) on our keyboards but um it was like I was in that generation where then Facebook came about and like it was sort of we were the early adopters as it were even though we weren't old enough to be on it but 
and then you sort of come through and you see Instagram and I even look at my stepsister who is 18 I think she's gonna kill me for this so I think she's 18 um and she is more of the Instagram lot Mm. I would say and her her perspective on social media is very different to my generation I think because we were kind of hammered with that kind of like body issues all that kind of stuff whereas there she's a lot more like savvy yeah basically yeah so more empowered yeah 100 percent. yeah and i think this is it um we t- being women in ad tech um and i i sometimes forget that i actually work in ad tech because m- my knowledge is sometimes really patchy and i always like whenever i come in to see the alchemy guys i'm like oh god they're all so smart <laughs> <laughs> i don't understand <laughs> oh um uh but you know i I grew up at a time where I worked in national press for a really long time. I experienced really weird things, uh, you know, whether they were sort of, um, uh, basically they were sexist, let's just face it, Um, (laughs) (laughs) quite misogynistic. Um, This was not at The Guardian. It was way before then. Um, And uh, I think there's there's been such a shift with younger people coming into the industry as well, Mm -hmm. and certainly Women in Programmatic Network. When I went to that event a couple of weeks ago, so many under 25s mm-hmm. and under 30s which was really really amazing to see um and they don't take shit mm-hmm. and that's incredible and uh, and more and more as sort of crypto becomes a bit more mainstream as mm-hmm. well i think that there'll be a big shift it won't just stay being quite a male you paved the way industry. claire you paved the way we're just following you up <laughs> i think um to sort of round up actually um i wanted to ask you guys if there was something you're looking forward to in the future in the industry um, or something you'd like to see or, yeah, just what are you looking forward to in the future? And I can imagine it's two very different answers, but... Yeah, so mine would be, so with the Women in Programmatic Network, um, we're doing a study at the moment, which anybody listening, uh, please get involved in because the more people we have listening, the better. Um, But essentially we're understanding, and it's a bit of a different one, um, what the maternity and paternity leave is like in our industry because we have the second worst childcare in the world in terms of the second most expensive childcare in the world um, and our paternity and maternity leave is pretty dire as well and actually when people end up having kids they don't know essentially whether they've got a good or bad like policy in place and so essentially we're asking companies to submit anonymously um their policy so that we can understand okay well this is statutory leave but where's the average in our industry Mm -hmm. and where's the best companies in the industry we're not going to name companies Mm -hmm. but it's so we can understand and so that people can start to compare because if you get pregnant or you know you're having a kid, you're not going to start going around companies and asking for their, their paternity or maternity leave policies, right? Mm-hmm. And so this gives people the opportunity to go, well, this is statutory. Okay, well, this is where my company compares to the average in the industry and this is what's the best so that people can start pushing for more mm-hmm. because I think things like that are needed. Like, it, these kind of things have not changed for yeah. years and years and years and they need to change. And like... We're not, and and one of the things um, which I always get asked about the network that I run is, well, our industry is not that bad in terms of equality. It's not that bad. And it's like, okay, well, let's try and be the best. Like, we've got an opportunity in our industry to have 50-50, like, equality, no gender pay gap. Like, because we work in a great industry, right? 
why do we still have these issues and so actually let's try and solve them and let's try and be the best industries that everyone else can follow forward so Mm um yeah it's probably quite a lot of pressure to put put on myself but but yeah right is now companies are becoming the the kind of area that i think politics isn't like actually when you when you think about that like they should be stepping up, right? The governments you, and sorting. This you said out, that about advertisers not. and yeah. sorry, and brands and how like delivery did stuff before the yeah. like the government did stuff. You know, people people take it on themselves if to do what needs to be done. Essentially, yeah. you yeah. have to be the change that you want to see. And I know that's a really um, often bandied around expression, but it's really true. And I think in our industry, we're really lucky because there are loads of s- small companies starting up, and they have a chance to rewrite things. They're mm-hmm. not they're not legacy businesses. I worked at I've worked at two national newspapers, which between them were over four hundred years old combined. It's really really hard to change that kind of legacy and that kind of history, especially when all the men are in their 50, all the men who are managing it are in their fifties yeah. and had their kids twenty years ago yeah. when their, their wives, wives did, and their wives yeah. are at home, right? So and. <laughs> God, <laughs> this is not. This we're is down not, the rabbit hole now. Oh God, oh, we're down the no, rabbit I th- hole. I think it's 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 super interesting. I don't think uh, Good Loop has these policies just because we have a female CEO and mm-hmm. a female founder. Mm-hmm. I think it's just because if you want to be authentic, mm-hmm. you have to walk the talk. Yeah, um, and so we can't be a purpose led ad tech platform Mm -hmm. if we're treating everyone like shit so that's your forward-facing view then (laughs) yeah um no so what do i think in the future i think um so much god industry wise i think there will be uh i think there will be a state of people playing catch up for a really long time because Mm. so much is changing Uh, the coming months certainly there are going to be there's going to be a lot of talent in the market um, with everything that's been going on with tech yeah. companies having to literally um, abandon ship, abandon ship. <laughs> uh, you know it's it's really sad and all in the run-up to Christmas mm-hmm. which is even more rubbish yeah um, so I think there's going to be a lot of talent sloshing around the industry I think from that talent will be some really interesting companies coming out of that I think there'll be okay. people who'll be like oh I'm just going to do it better mm-hmm. um, but long term I'm hoping that the industry continues to um strive for transparency Mm -hmm. and with transparency comes more equality more sustainability Um, that's obviously my specialist area my specialist subject um so i think these things are going to become a lot more ubiquitous and these pillars will start to help inform how companies move forward at alchemy exchange no joke <laughs> and at good loop so but thank you so much for coming on and having a, a very informative chat with me i feel a lot clever Pleasure. after that conversation awesome yeah, yeah. Lovely thank you for having me. us yeah, thank, thank you, you.